for your Saturday morning coffee with Reese Boyd. So Reese Boyd is on right now. Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is... 707 on your Saturday morning, and I am your host, Reese Boyd. Welcome to the show. Saturday, January 30th, 2021. Can't believe January is coming to a close. It's unbelievable how quickly time flies. Uh, I am Reese Boyd, local attorney here in town with the firm of Davison Boyd. Thanks for joining us for the show this this cold Saturday morning here along the Grand Strand below freezing. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee as we sit down, talk about the news, current events, all the things happening in this world around us that you need to know. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, and constitutional government because all those things mean more freedom for you and me, all of us who are we the people. Now, more than ever, we have a country to save Folks, we really do. And it starts right here on the local level, right here on this program. And uh, as always, we're joined here this morning by producer extraordinaire, Dr. Glenn Dye. Dr. Dye, how are you this morning? Let's turn your mic on first, and then we'll, uh, then we'll, then we'll go from there. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Great Honduras coffee here. More of the internet. arrived in the mail yesterday because uh, of Reese Boyd. More of the International Coffee Club. Uh, I don't think it's called International Coffee Club. What do they call it? Atlas. Yeah, Atlas. Atlas. Yeah, yeah. Atlas. Yeah. There. Anyway, Honduras dark bold. I like it. Very good. Very good. I am drinking more s'morey time from Bones Coffee Club. They said they're going to send us some coffee to give away. I haven't received that yet, so maybe we'll get to share that with some of our listeners. Uh, it's a very Smooth coffee, really, uh, really nice, smooth blend. It's called S'mori Time. Yeah, well, I'm real happy. I mean, this came all the way from Honduras. All Beautiful place. Juan Valdez hiking up into the uh, mountains. I think that's Brazil. Is that Brazil? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's Brazil. Are you sure about that? Uh, what? Good Juan? We need, uh, we need Juan? Alexa in here so yeah. we can ask her where is Alexa, where's Juan Valdez from? Somewhere think, in South America. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Uh, speaking of coffee, Glenn had some interesting uh, coffee this week. Uh, there is uh, an interesting little coffee place in Merle's. And I want to bring everybody's attention to another fine coffee hall. And if you're looking for good coffee, um, the Brown Fox, uh, Brown Fox Coffee over in Merle's Inlet, it's on the Marsh Walk. And it's not a sit-down coffee shop. It's just a little walk-up. But they have absolutely wonderful coffee. And so I encourage you guys to check out uh, Brown Fox because we need more, you know, we, we need more good coffee places here along the Grand Strand. And actually, with all the closures and everything that's happened as a result of COVID-19, it's been obviously really tough for small business and uh, restaurants in particular. So if you guys can get out and and support the restaurants, we were out in uh, Merle's Inlet a couple of times uh, this week. And uh, we're over at Dead Dog one night and actually had uh, some 
Brown Fox uh, coffee one night. It's really good stuff. Hope you guys will check them out. They are right there on the mor- on the Marsh Walk in Merle's Inlet. And if you stop by, tell them that uh, the folks at Saturday Morning Coffee sent you, and maybe they will uh, join the show as a sponsor, maybe send us some coffee to give you guys. So let them know that you heard about them on the radio, but check them out. It's good stuff. Really, uh, really uh, good coffee. I had a salted caramel mocha latte. And oh my goodness, <laughs> worth, <laughs> worth the trip. Worth the trip. And and the, all the syllables you got to yeah. I had to think, get what, out of your I had mouth. think about that. What exactly did I have? But it was excellent. So, a lot going on. Tell us what you guys are uh, drinking. What the Cafe du Jour is uh, out there in uh, in the uh, Saturday morning coffee family. Let us know what you're drinking this morning here on the show. You can dial in anytime. Call in line. You guys know by heart. Eight four three nine zero three two. Nine four five. You can also text your comments to the PCRXcomputers.com text line. That number is 843-798-TALK, also known as 843-798-8255. You can also email your comments to SMC at gmail.com. And quite a few of you enjoy calling during normal business hours, a little bit later in the day, those number the number for the office, if you want to call during the week, speak to your humble host. The number at Davis and Boyd Attorneys at Law is 843-839-9800. Got some interesting emails from you guys this week, some show topic uh, suggestions and other questions. So always love hearing from you guys. Hope you guys will uh, uh, join the show today. Let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what you're thinking um, we've got a great show coming up. We're uh, going to be talking in the second hour to uh, Ashley Landis. Ashley is with the South Carolina Policy Council. Ashley is going to be talking to us about the uh, legislature, um, se- legislative session excuse me, in Columbia that's uh, just started and, and some of the things that are on the agenda for the upcoming session and some of the things that have been introduced that you guys need to be aware of and need to be uh, on alert about. So... We'll look forward to talking to Ashley a little bit later in the program. Also going to be joined in the second hour by our friend Jared Dillian, host of the Jared Dillian Show here also on this station. Jared's going to be talking to us about uh, AMC and GameStop uh, stock inflation and the run on the market and <laughs> is Robin t- Hood and the Battle of Sherwood Forest. Uh, is, it t- is it too late to get in? No, I think you missed the boat. <laughs> yeah, we I, did. I think yeah, you missed did. that boat. Uh, if you uh, if you're thinking about investing in GameStop <laughs> or AMC, you're a little late to the party. Yeah. But who knows uh, what is going to happen? But, it's going to change some things. I believe. oh yeah, I think yeah. I think what has happened this week is a wake up call. Oh yeah, and it is a real yeah. it is a real game changer. Yeah, if you lose a couple billion dollars, it can tend to wake you up. Yeah, oh, it'll it'll <laughs> definitely I think uh, it'll it'll put the uh, fear of something. In yeah, you. and yeah. so it'll be interesting to hear uh, Jared's uh, thoughts on that. I always love to talk to Jared about financial issues, market-related uh, matters. So Jared will be joining us a little bit later in the program in the second hour. Uh, so stick with us for that. And also a um, uh, lot to talk about, so much to unpack. I've got a big stack here uh, for you guys today to try to unpack and, and get through a lot in the Saturday morning coffee stack, which hopefully we'll be able to get through that today. A lot of you already checking in on the uh, uh, PCRXcomputers.com text line. Uh, that's... Uh, 
uh, open for business. Will checking in down at Coastal Sports. Andy Thompson uh, checking in. Did you see what Andy wrote here? Uh, this is Andy, the bass player. Yeah, Andy, the bass player. Uh, he, he wrote the same text. Uh, let's see, same text as I wrote this time last year. Saturday morning coffee and doing tax returns. Good morning. So... Andy is a regular, he's got a routine going. He's got a routine. Saturday morning, he's going to work yeah. on some tax returns, have some good coffee, enjoy a little Saturday morning coffee on WTKN. You know, Andy deserves a mug. Andy does. A shirt. Let's send Andy, Andy, if you'll uh, text us. I think, Glenn, you're onto something. Andy, you'll, uh, you hit us up with an address. We'll send you a mug. Let us know. And, you know, it's funny. If you ever get into those situations with your text messages, so it's like Groundhog Day, Andy. It's like, you know. The same thing all over again. It's deja vu all over again for Andy, Andy the bass player. So, Andy, let us know uh, where to send your mug. We'll, we'll take care of you. Thanks uh, for sticking with us, folks. It's Saturday morning coffee. Uh, got a lot to talk about this morning, so I hope you'll stick with us. I am uh, Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. And this is Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town. But it looks just like a traveler who hasn't showered in a while. I've been living in the ground. Milo is your best friend He's your second cousin All roads lead to He's the rising sun Milo is a long, long way Saturday morning coffee Call the show at 843-903-2945 The Reese Boyd Radio Hour Returns after these On Talk 94.5 Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee The Reese Boyd Radio Hour On Talk 94.5 Milo is your best friend He's your second cousin All roads lead to He's the rising sun Milo is a long, long way from home yet Milo is a name you won't forget Milo, I haven't met yet Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is. He's bigger than life superhero. He's the captain. 719 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for sticking with us here on Saturday Morning Coffee. And a lot to uh, talk about here this morning on the show. And I wanted to start by um, uh, thinking about uh, President O'Biden. Yeah, President O'Biden. <laughs> that was the name I've come up with. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of executive orders, folks, that are uh, rolling back, uh, rolling back much of what uh, Trump has accomplished, and it's been a tough, uh, tough sledding. You know, the same President uh, Biden that not uh, too long ago on the campaign trail said rule by executive order was uh, equivalent to tyranny. And a dictatorship is now churning out executive orders at an historic rate. Um, it's um, he's up to uh, depending on how you count them. Uh, some say uh, 42. If you count the executive memoranda, if you uh, count all of them, it's uh, somewhere between uh, high 20s and and 42. And he's only been in office <laughs> since uh, you know it's about. Two weeks he's been in office, and so it's not even. Uh, we're uh, we're we're looking at a um, uh, a situation where uh, Biden is remaking uh, this country, and I don't know if you guys are 
keeping score, but it's it's pretty phenomenal what Biden has attempted to do in a very short uh, period of time. Biden, of course, has issued uh, orders, executive orders, rolling back uh, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, rolled back um, uh, oil and gas exploration on federal lands. He's issued an executive order strengthening Medicaid, restoring the Affordable Care Act, reopens healthcare.gov from February 15 through May 15, and directs federal agencies to re-examine policies that have reduced or undermined access to the Affordable Care Act. Um, he's issued a, um, a memorandum on protecting women's health at home and abroad, which has uh, rescinded the Mexico City policy. The Mexico City policy, of course, was a ban on U.S. government funding for foreign nonprofits that perform or promote abortions. Um, the memorandum also directs U.S. Health and Human Services Department to immediately move to consider rescinding Trump administration rules, which block health care providers and federally funded Title X family planning programs from referring patients for abortions. Uh, on the um, environment, uh, the uh, president has already issued executive order on tackling the climate crisis at home and abroad. He seeks to cement the climate crisis at the center of U.S. foreign policy. He wants to make his presidency about overcoming climate change, folks. And it will be, for him, a national security uh, issue. It develops the national intelligence uh, director to develop the secure, to estimate the security implications of the climate crisis and directs all agencies to develop strategies for Im- integrating climate considerations into their international work. So the Department of Defense, the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, other folks are going to be working on combating climate change, folks, because that is the threat uh, that Joe Biden sees to you and I and all of us who are we the people here in America. Uh, It establishes the National Climate Change Task Force, which uh, assembles leaders from 21 federal agencies. It it commits to environmental justice a new Clean Infrastructure Projects kicks off development uh, for massive new emissions reductions targets. Um, He's uh, issued an order establishing the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, which reestablishes science and technology moving forward as the basis for uh, policy affecting science, technology, and innovation. Um, It's really... uh, it's. uh, astonishing uh, what Biden has done. He's issued an executive order rejoining the Paris Climate Accord, the landmark international agreement signed in 2015 to limit global warming. The uh, executive order uh, issued on the environment and restoring science also cancels, as noted previously, the Keystone XL pipeline and directs agencies to review and reverse more than 100 Trump administration actions on the environment. Uh, He has issued an executive order on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government, which rescinds Trump's 1776 commission and directs agencies to review all their actions to ensure racial equity. And there is so much to say about this, folks, but there is is so much that is wrapped up in all this. Um, And and it is really amazing 
what uh, this administration has rolled out in a, such a dramatically short period of time. Uh, executive order uh, has been issued by the president preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity and sexual orientation prevents workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. He's issued a executive memorandum condemning and combating racism, xenophobia and intolerance against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. He's issued an executive order reforming our incarceration system to eliminate the use of privately operated criminal detention facilities. He has issued an order redressing our nation and the federal government's history of discriminatory housing practices and policies. This uh, order directs the Department of Housing and Urban Development to review the Trump administration's regulatory actions for their effects on fair housing and to then take the steps necessary to comply with the Fair Housing Act. Um, he's issued an executive order enabling all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform. This executive order reverses the Trump administration's ban on transgender Americans joining the military. He has issued an executive order ensuring the future is made in all of America by all of American workers by strengthening American rules, closing loopholes, reducing waivers granted on federal purchases of domestic goods, actually not necessarily a bad thing entirely. Executive order protecting the federal workforce uh, restores collective bargaining power and worker protections for federal workers and lays the foundation for a $15 minimum wage. It, uh, executive order on economic relief related to the COVID-19 pandemic calls for assistance to those who are struggling uh, in, as a, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, he's issued an order on pausing federal student loan payments, extends the existing pause on student loan payments and interest for Americans with federal student loans on uh, until rather at least September 30th. And the list goes on and on, folks. It's it's really it's amazing. And, I, you know, every one of these orders, there are a thousand questions that we could unpack with res, with with regard to each of these orders. I mean, for example, Glenn, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, the order rescinding student loan payments. Why don't we just do away with all debt in this country? Why doesn't the government just say <laughs> yeah. that none of us have to pay back the debt that we have borrowed? Can you give me a couple of weeks before, you know, it goes into effect? Yeah, you know, let give us me a little lead time. A grace period? A little yeah, grace period? So that I know, you know, to go out and get myself something two nice. months. Two months from now, we're going to cancel all debt. Yeah. I, I think it's a great idea. And, and so literally, why stop <laughs> with student loans? Yeah, Let's yeah. let the government just do away with all debt. You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Hey, um, I'm going to say, though, Space Force looks maybe like it's safe. We can only pray. We can only pray. Space Force might be... I, I, but it is really... It, all of these orders, folks, are just astonishing in their breadth, in the sweeping nature of it all. And, of course, uh, Trump has already issued more executive orders than any president in, yeah. in, in history in this limited amount of time that he has been in the White House. Um, it's really astonishing. When you see the XL pipeline mm -hmm. and how much work has already been done, and now we're just going to walk away from it and we're going to have to pay Literally. Canada's looking for restitution as yeah. well and we will have to pay to dissemble yeah and pack up and yeah. and repurpose recycle all of the material that went into the XL pipeline and of course um, 
there are meetings that are uh, 26 Republican senators have requested a meeting with the president over actions affecting government workers because this is huge. This is a huge number of jobs that are uh, being impacted by this. It says in a letter to Biden, 26 senators from states where economic growth and employment rely heavily on the oil and gas industry uh, wrote that they are horrified at, and surprised by the president's actions that could that could uh, put hundreds of thousands of folks out of work. Yeah. So this is uh, amazing that in literally at the stroke of a pen, and the theory behind all this, folks, is that these folks are going to be making solar panels. That will never work. That will never replace. They'll have to go to China. Yeah. I mean, I mean th- th- that is a great point. And are we going to have a cylindra? Are they going to build a cylindra on every, on every corner to uh, take up the, the slack? Because the energy uh, sector is not just the gas that you put in your car, folks. And it's not just the Keystone XL pipeline. But petrochemicals go into plastics and, and the ripple effects that this sector has through the economy. Petrochemicals go into virtually everything that's in your home in some degree or another. Yeah. And so the ripple effects, the byproducts that the energy industry, the petroleum energy industry uh, produces is, uh, is, is so substantial and it's going to be so difficult to isolate this to any one or two areas of the economy. It's going to have really dramatic effects. It's incredible what Biden has done. It's amazing. They, they want us to unite, folks, but they want us to unite around a left-wing agenda where climate change is our biggest problem and the government basically is going to run most of your life. So if you can unite around that, then we can look forward to some great unity. But a lot more to talk about. Stick with us. That's the uh, summary of Joe Biden's executive action. Stick with us, folks. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. And more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 7.35 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, January 30, 2021. Cannot believe January is quickly leaving us. A lot of you checking in on the PCRXcomputers.com text line. Cadillac Gary checking in. If that doesn't sound like an abuse of power, I don't know what is. I couldn't agree with you more, Cadillac. Uh, Ken from Conway checking in. Excellent choice of bumper music this morning. Ken, we pride ourselves in our bumper music selections here on the program. But thanks for thanks for the uh, vote of confidence. 
Kenny, the equipment guy. Good morning, Reese. Enjoying a good old ice-cold Coca-Cola loading trucks with sand this morning. Kenny, whatever gets your Saturday morning going is fine with us. So we're uh, glad to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Tim, the car detail guy, checking in. And uh, also we've got a um, somebody who is just a number on our list of deplorables. Yeah, so just a number. Just a number. <laughs> You're just a number. Relations should be like two zeros. When you try to add, they are the same. When you subtract, they're the same. But when you divide, it's impossible. Good morning. God bless you. So thanks for chiming in. Uh, whoever you are, thanks for listening. So, hey, can I throw something in here real quick? Yeah, please do. If you see Carol today, wish Carol a happy birthday. Carol is... Celebrating, celebrating the anniversary of her 29th birthday. A very good. Good for Carol. Yeah. All right. So today, and, right now, it's 37 degrees. You're waking up chilly. 49 the high today. Tomorrow, 80% chance of rain. 58 for the high. 58 for the high. Yeah. So enjoy your day today. And rain so tomorrow. Happy birthday, Carol. And I'll also wish happy birthday to my better half, Lee. We celebrated her birthday this week. She's ah. also celebrating an anniversary of her 29th birthday. Yeah. So we had a good time. Yeah. And uh, so happy happy birthday to Lee and Carol and all of you who are enjoying a birthday this week. Uh, lots going on uh, this uh, this news cycle. Plenty to talk about. Wanted to give you guys a quick um, update on uh, a couple of uh, COVID developments. The uh, Greenville uh, WYFF radio station reporting the South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control announced Thursday its detection of two cases associated with SARS-CoV-2, that's COVID-19 variant that first emerged in South Africa. These are the first two cases of this variant to appear in the United States. South Carolina public health officials said they were notified late Wednesday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of a South Carolina sample that was tested and determined to be the B.1.351 variant originally identified in South Africa. This is the variant that is supposedly... um, the mutation is a little bit uh, more uh, uh, contagious, and uh, it says the um, uh, the governor said, and it's potentially a little more uh, fatal. But we, again, we're learning that the COVID nineteen, as a percentage, is is not uh, that fatal. But the governor said, uh, Governor Henry McMaster issued a statement: the arrival of the SARS CoV two variant in our state is an important reminder to all South Carolinians that the fight against the deadly virus is not over. I'm sorry, that's not the governor. That's the uh, Dr. Brandon Traxler, DHEC Interim Public Health Director. Uh, while, mo- while more COVID-19 vaccines are on the way, set supplies are still limited. Everyone must uh, commit to the fight by recognizing that we are all on the front lines. Now we are all in this uh, together. The uh, variant has been identified in more than 30 countries, but these are the first cases of this variant identified in the, uh, in the United States. Uh, the variants originally detected in the United Kingdom and South Africa spread easier and quicker than the majority of COVID-19 variations. So that was uh, an interesting development on the COVID front. Also, Governor Henry McMaster has asked the Department of Health and Environmental Control to reallocate tens of thousands of doses of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine from a federal program to other providers in South Carolina. In a January 29 letter to DHEC Chairman Mark Elam, he asked that 37,800 doses be moved from the Federal Pharmacy Partnership for Long-Term Care Programs to and given to other vaccine providers across the state that are open and accessible to the general public. 
um, the long-term care partners, CVS and Walgreens, have completed their first pass through the state's long-term care facilities and have determined that there will be a surplus once every resident and staff member have been offered both doses. And that's been one of the things that we've seen in this vaccination effort, folks. Frankly, we're not vaccinating at a rate uh, comparable to other industrialized nations. At the rate we were vaccinating people up until about two weeks ago, it would have taken us three years to vaccinate the population. We are making progress. But one of the problems that you see in all this, if you will read between the lines, you see government playing politics with uh, the vaccine. You've seen that happen directly in states like New York, where they've made it very clear that if you're not on their list, if you're not a preferred category, you're not getting the vaccine, no matter how many uh, vials of the vaccine sit on the counter and go to waste. And so many vials, many doses of the vaccine have literally been thrown out across the nation simply because uh, the, the people that were in line waiting to be vaccinated didn't match the current profile for who they thought was most important to give the vaccine to first. And that's a horrible waste economically. Uh, I mean, in every way, it's a waste, but it's a horribly inefficient way to run things. But that's your government at work, folks. Um, we're playing politics with the vaccine, just like we play politics with uh, other aspects of the COVID-19 fight. And, and medicine is not politics, and politics is not medicine. Until we figure that out, we're going to be less than optimal in the way that we respond uh, to the COVID-19 pandemic. And that includes in the way we pass out vaccinations. I think we've got a caller on the line. Glenn, is, uh, I don't see my board here today. I'm, I'm technologically, I'm, bl- I'm flying blind here. Do we still have Tom on the uh, Holding on the line? Yeah, Tom's on the line. Right. Morning, Tom. Morning, Tom. How are you this morning? Tom, are you there? Yeah, I'm, I, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, sir. Good morning. What's on your mind? Uh, two things. One, I know you applied to Hallowed Halls of Washington at some point in your career. Um, and I also know that uh, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich to use an old chestnut. Mm-hmm. But what's going on with this cockamamie um, impeachment? What's this legal standing? Or is there such a thing? Is there any break on Congress? Can they do this? You know, first of all, I think politically, and it's a great question, Tom, um, and I think there is no absolutely clear answer because folks Mm -hmm. have been disagreeing about this. I tend to take the Dershowitz view that the term of the the section of the Constitution that deals with uh, impeachment— strongly, I mean, it's very clear that the impeachment remedy is intended for a sitting president who needs to be removed from office. That is the clear and unequivocal intent. There is some language that you can cherry pick that suggests that maybe you can pursue the president after he leaves office, but I don't think that that's the intent of the provision, and I don't think if you really want to look at what the founders intended that provision to be, this isn't it. Um And the other thing that's interesting, it seems as though the votes are not there. So whether it's constitutional to bring the action in the Senate or not, it is uh, probably not going to be successful even if they do. And what I am reading, what I think we're seeing now is this maybe that they'll try to censure the president because they can do that with a simple majority. Uh, so they censure the president and tell him he was a bad boy. I mean, yeah. If you remember, Pelosi was censored. Yeah, right. It's not the first time that the Congress has voted to censure somebody, and it won't be the last. And it and it it won't be a uh, an irascible black mark on his record. 
and it won't prevent him from running for office uh, in the future if that's if that's the way it goes. But the impeachment would. But I think that's a, a something that is just a bridge too far. I don't think yeah. that's what the Constitution intends, and I don't think. As you've probably heard many people say, if they can impeach Donald Trump after he leaves office, they can impeach anybody. I'd say we would go after George Washington. Yeah, let's impeach. uh, Yeah, there's quite a few. uh, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, there's quite a few past tense presidents we should Mm -hmm. probably impeach. So, uh, but that's a great question, Tom. Thanks. What's uh, what? Anything else on your mind? Uh, Yeah. Well, no. You said you had. you, You said you had two questions. No, that'll that'll that I'm drawing blanks here. All right, very good. Well, listen, thanks for checking in, Tom. Enjoy your Saturday morning, yeah, and uh, and thanks for uh, listening. Have a great day. Okay. And uh, so it is an interesting question, folks. By the way, the the attorney in Colombia who has been one of the attorneys that has been tapped to represent uh, the president is a gentleman by the name of Butch Bowers. Butch mm-hmm. and I have worked on cases together, and I'm trying to get Butch to dial in uh, to the show at some point to talk about the experience of representing the president. Don't know when we'll get that worked out, but we've been uh, talking about that. So we'll try to make that happen for you guys at some point in the near future. But uh, I don't think the impeachment is going anywhere. It looks nope. like it's DOA. So uh, hopefully that won't be too big, too big a job or a, a hurdle for uh, for Butch. But do you know the Democrats are not going to back down? They're oh, going to no. go through with it yeah. in embarrassment. A waste of time, a waste of taxpayers' money, just saying. What else is new? Folks, it's uh, Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. That's Glenn Dye. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more after these messages. Morning Coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday Morning Coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. Full hours on Talk 94.5. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 7.50 on your Saturday morning, and I am Reese Boyd, your host. Thanks for joining us here on the show. A few more COVID-19 notes to cover in our COVID-19 update. You know, there's a little bit of a hot spot going on in South Carolina up through about a week ago. Uh, interesting data um, from the COVID tracking project which I uh, had been following on Twitter. We'll get to that uh, in a bit. But there were actually four, as of last Sunday, there were four relative hotspots pointing uh, out, pointed out on the map uh, distributed by the COVID tracking project. Those were on the West Coast, California, Nevada, Arizona, uh, in the Southwest, Oklahoma, and Texas. In the Southeast, Alabama, South Carolina, and Georgia, with Georgia taking the lead. And, of course, as always, our old reliable standby, that model of efficiency in responding to a pandemic, the Empire State, under the 
auspicious, auspicious leadership of Governor Cuomo at 443 cases per million. And, of course, uh, actually New York peaked at 968 cases per million, but last week they were at 443. South Carolina, not far behind at 425 uh, Alabama at 460, and, and Georgia actually at 499 uh, cases uh, per million population. That's hospitalized cases per million population. Interestingly enough, though, over the last week, the numbers have started to drop over the period January 20 to January 27. Uh, change in currently hospitalized uh, COVID-19 patients in South Carolina dropped uh, 10%. Uh, many states dropping significantly. Uh, Also, according to the COVID tracking project, the number of hospitalizations down significantly in almost every state. There were only a handful of states that were marginally up. The majority of states were significantly uh, down. And uh, basically, um, we lost about 3,000 on average uh, per day over the last couple of uh, uh, days this week. And uh, the overall percentage of, of hospitalizations uh, on decline, the, the numbers actually, uh, inc- the, the speed at which it's decreasing is increasing. So that's a good sign. It, it looks like uh, we're rounding the corner, at least for now, on COVID-19, which is a very, very good sign. Um, a few hours uh, also in the Senate, excuse me, in the House, also a few hours before the South Carolina Senate, this will cover two birds with one stone, before the Senate passed a bill banning abortions, after a fetal heartbeat is detectable, the House, uh, this from WIS-TV in Columbia from January 29, yesterday, the House passed a multi-million dollar bill aimed at assisting with the state's fight against COVID-19. The two chambers led by significant Republican majorities now trade legislation with the hopes the other will pass their respective bills uh, quickly. The House bill allocates $208 million to the Department of Health and Environmental Control and the Medical University of South Carolina to expand statewide COVID-19 vaccine capacity and to improve the state's uh, coronavirus testing system. The bill also calls on DHEC to allocate vaccines based on the population size of the four regions of the state Low Country, Midlands, PD, Upstate, rather than by county. Lawmakers said they hope that by allocating vaccine supplies this way, rural counties will not fall behind larger population centers like Richland and Charleston counties. So that will uh, be interesting to see if that has an impact. And yes, in the Senate, the fetal heartbeat bill was passed. The fetal heartbeat bill um, has been talked about quite a bit on uh, on this uh, radio station, this program, and others. Uh, the the heartbeat bill bans uh, abortions after six to eight weeks unless the pregnancy threatens the life of the mother. The pregnancy was the result of rape or incest, or if there is a fetal anomaly. Um, the South Carolina Senate uh, voted thirty to thirteen. Uh, to protect the unborn, now the bill goes back to the House for reconciliation and then to the governor's desk where he has said that he will sign it. And, of course, the House passed uh, the same, virtually the same version of this bill previously in its last legislative session. So there's every reason to believe that uh, approval in the House will not take long. Um, lots of groups stepping up to uh, to uh, 
take credit for uh, this passage. I think there were a lot of folks uh, working arm-in-arm, shoulder-to-shoulder to get this done. So uh, a lot of folks can, um, can be credited can be credited for that. As a matter of fact, I'm on the board for Palmetto Family, which uh, worked, Palmetto Family Council worked to, uh, to get that bill uh, passed as well. So it's a, it's a, a great victory uh, for uh, life in South Carolina. So congratulations to the South Carolina Senate uh, for doing that. But uh, good news uh, there and good news on the COVID-19 uh, front. So hopefully we are uh, as I said, rounding the corner. Folks, in other interesting news, while I am on the subject, wanted to share something with y'all. While I'm on the subject of Palmetto Family, when I was on the Liz Calloway show on Friday, it's actually not this past yesterday, but Friday of last week, we were uh, discussing an article that was written about um, poverty. And it was the uh, level of poverty in Conway that was the specific topic of this news article that Liz had cited. And there is a Currently, according to available U.S. Department of Labor statistics, there is a, essentially a 20% poverty level in South Carolina. And in the discussion that we had with Liz on the program, we talked about lots of reasons why uh, the poverty level is what it is. Certainly COVID-19 has not helped. The slowdown in the economy, the shutdown of the economy has certainly not helped. And uh, we talked about things that theoretically can be done to reduce the poverty level. We talked about a lot of things that we've tried in the past, things that have worked and things that have not worked. One of the things, and of course, as I said on the show with Liz, and I think this is very true, I think the church has a role to uh, serve in addressing uh, this uh, problem. And, and, and certainly the church needs to step up to the plate. And if you're active in a church and y'all don't have programs within your church for outreach, uh, you need to get... Uh, with your pastors and and work on um, you know developing those programs so that your church helps meets the need, meet the needs of your community. But there's another aspect of this that Liz and I didn't talk about that I wanted to share. You know, marriage, and I've learned this, studied this through my work with Palmetto Family. Marriage, the institution of marriage, is a wealth creating institution. It is a ticket out of poverty. This is an article by Ted Budd that I found that I had in my stack for many weeks. It says, While some, why are some millennials more financially secure than others? The answer has to do with life choices. Americans who graduate high school, start working, get married, and have children in that order are significantly less likely to fall into poverty than others. These are the four core life choices. And when sequenced together in that order, graduate high school, start working, get married, have children, that sequence produces economic prosperity, relatively speaking. And of course, nothing in this life is guaranteed. But the point is that the family as a organic institution, as a, as a, as a body around which we organize society, the family promotes the creation of wealth. So we should encourage not only charity in our public policy and charity among our churches, but we should also pursue government policies that promote and defend the family. The family is a wealth-creating institution. We can talk more about that after the break. I'm uh, Reese Boyd. I'm here with Glenn Dye. This is Saturday Morning Coffee. After these words from our sponsors, we'll be right back with more. Don't leave town. I'm a coming out of love field. Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks now. I've been feeling since 96 now. Maybe you're 
everybody. It's Reese Boyd, your host for Saturday Morning Coffee, talking with Greg Sisson. Greg is the principal at the Greg Sisson Team Remax First Choice Real Estate. How long have you been in the real estate business? I started in real estate full-time in 1997, and our company is, is really structured where we can serve the client at a high level, so we've really streamlined it to make it simple and easy for our clients. Our market is red hot kind of the perfect storm for home sellers right now in the Grand Strand. Greg, if folks want to get in touch with you at your office, how can they do that? Really, my cell phone is the best way. It's 843-251-2693. And then our website is gregsisson.com. Check us out there as well. If you are a seller today and you're thinking about it, it, it would make sense to give me a call. Remax First Choice, the Greg Sisson team, real estate experts here in Myrtle Beach, ready to help you with your real estate needs. This is WTKM 94.5. Myrtle's Inlet, Myrtle Beach. Talk 94.5, the new conservative alternative. Where are you now when darkness seems to end? Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. You're in the second cup hour of Saturday Morning Coffee, 8.07 on your Saturday morning. I want to invite you guys to join the program. I know we've got a couple of people holding on the line. We will get to you. You can join the program yourself at 843-903-2945 or text us your comments to 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. Thanks to Margaret, the lawyer, for checking in this morning. Good to see you there, Margaret. Thanks for listening. Got a couple of legal brief items for you guys if we get to them this morning. But right now, we're joined by Ashley Landis. Ashley is with the South Carolina Policy Council. The South Carolina Policy Council is an independent, private, nonpartisan research organization to, that was founded to promote the principles of limited government, free enterprise, and individual liberty and responsibility in the state of South Carolina. And it is an organization, a think tank, if you will, that I have followed for years. I support their efforts. They've been on the program. Their staff has been on the program. Ashley has been on the program before, and Ashley Landis joins us again today. Good morning, Ashley. How are you? Good morning, Reese. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for joining us. I, uh, My pleasure. Always glad to hear from you. Glad to uh, have you guys keep us up to date on what's going on in the uh, in the capital city in the state of South Carolina. I, I wanted to have you on because we got, you know, your I get your emails and I saw that you had sent out a legislative update. So uh, suffice it to say, there's a lot going on in the legislature this year. And I wanted to hear your take on all that. You guys sent out a pretty extensive legislative briefing, a lot going on in the uh, ethics uh ethics uh, category, uh, a lot of going, a lot going on in the second amendment area. Um, and just a, a lot to talk about. So tell us a little bit first, tell folks just a little bit about 
the Policy Council. What are you guys and, and what do you do? You know, in a nutshell, Reese, we're the organization that watchdogs government. I think the, the term watchdog really probably does apply to what we do. Although we do a little bit more, well, a lot more complicated research and try to translate it for you. I guess I could put it in a couple of sentences, and sometimes it's hard to do with an organization like ours, but we translate government for people. Complicated legislation that is designed to confuse people mm-hmm. and to intimidate you into not reading it. You know, who wants to pick up a dense piece of legislation and try to understand it? Well, we have, over the years, pretty much gotten it down. Yeah. I have to say, right, after after 13 years of really dedicating ourselves to analyzing legislation and analyzing government for you, translating their practices, their actions, the laws, the Constitution, the regulations, in, in a plain way, yeah. plain reading, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you deserve to know what they're doing over there. Yeah. And you guys do great work, which is why I follow you and I encourage uh, everybody to sign up for your uh, email updates. And let me just turn to the last one that I got. And I'll just run through briefly a couple that caught my attention. You guys mentioned uh, S391, a pending piece of legislation that makes it a felony for a public official to use their office for financial gain. What's what's that all about? Well, I mean, first of all, that's <laughs> all right. So when you start to talk about the Ethics Act, you have to remember that it was designed to protect politicians. Now, that's something we may not have known mm-hmm. until, you know, at the last several years <laughs> when we started really looking into corruption with yeah. the nerve. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that the whole law is just carefully written so that these guys are pretty much held harmless across the board. Now, the funny thing is, and it is not really funny, but... It's disturbing, actually. Mm-hmm. Most corruption crimes under the Ethics Act, are they're all misdemeanors, Reese. Yeah. They barely carry a sentence. What they at least are trying to do with this is say, well, if you use your office for financial gain, it's a felony. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Using your office for financial gain is really blurry yeah. when it gets right down to it, isn't yeah. it? And, and that's where it looks like these things are being reformed. It looks like they're really trying. But the truth is, you know, until we rewrite the Ethics Act, mm-hmm. overhaul the whole thing, and let's make crime, crime, yeah. Reese, right? Yeah. You Instead know, of these soft-worded things. One of the things that always uh, you see come up is they, they take this approach as long as what you do has a general application. So if you're an optometrist, optometrist who serves in the General Assembly, and I just picked that at random, could be anything, and you pass a bill which, say, dramatically helps optometrists, it will dramatically help you, but as long as it helps all the optometrists, the, generally that's that's been okay. Right. Uh, and so you kind of have to, you, you kind of have to draw a line, and you really, I mean, it's, it, it, as you said, it becomes a very difficult line to draw at times. Well, when they're interpreting, yeah, the right, you've got they police themselves over there. Mm-hmm. So the legislature has its own ethics committee. The judicial branch has its own ethics committee, and then there's the state commission for everybody else. Yep. They all police themselves. So if the ethics committee in the house decides, well, that the interpretation of the law. Says, and that's okay for the former speaker to 
buy himself an airplane from his campaign account, right? Because the speaker shouldn't have to drive. So it, 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 yeah. I'm serious. You remember yeah. that's, what, that's yeah. what he said. Exactly. So it all comes down to how they, they word it. And a lot of times, okay, for example, the whole makes it unlawful to accept contributions from regulated utilities. Boy, that sounds like a really tough law, right? Yeah. But the truth is, one campaign contribution that's given pretty much across the board isn't really going to make that much of a difference. And they know that. They know there are lots of ways of supporting these legislators if these companies want to. And, you know, to your point, Reese, with the exception for the blanket laws, Mm -hmm. the conflict of interest there, that's also getting dicey. There's a fine line between... You don't want as a constituent to lose a vote and lose a voice because of a prohibition because your legislator has a particular job. At the same time, these guys shouldn't be able to pass laws that benefit them. And, and you know what the real answer is here? They shouldn't be benefiting at all from state government. Period. Yeah. And it's, there's nothing wrong with a recusal, by the way. Yeah. That, that, that we're <laughs> I have long been a fan of the idea that if you have legislation before you that would directly impact you uh, in a, in a, in a very measurable way, in a meaningful way, in a substantive, in a substantive way that you should just recuse yourself from, from that consideration. That seems to make sense to me. Well, let me turn to the, let me turn to the, unfortunately we don't have all morning. I want to, I got a lot to ask you about. What about the second amendment? I I see H thirty five seventy would allow law enforcement Mm -hmm. to search your property and seize firearms without warning. What's that all about? That's, that's cuckoo. That's cuckoo kazoo, isn't it? It's, it's pretty bad. And these are, this right here is exactly what the so-called red flag laws actually look like and actually do. And this, me is one of the most dangerous things that you're going to see. This legislature is, you know, touts itself as being pro-rights. You know, mm-hmm. they talk about we're here to protect your rights and mm-hmm. oh, and they're all good conservatives. Yep. And but you know what? This is the kind of thing that, that these guys don't think about. It sounds good to say the government should have the right to take your gun if you're dangerous. But it's all in the interpretation. Yeah. So you have to look at this process. And, and the bill describes a secret proceeding that That's can right. start as a complaint filed by law enforcement or the solicitor, anybody really that wants to make a complaint against you. And and this proceeding right. starts uh, against you in secret. I mean, that's that's cuckoo. Right. Absolutely. Right. And sometimes you're not even aware it's happening. They also there's no investigation of the complaint. So if, if your angry neighbor mm-hmm. tells a police officer, you know, that guy over there, I saw him out there waving his gun around and yelling at somebody. Yeah. I mean, what okay. about... You could, yeah. you could be cleaning your gun, exactly. by the way. Yeah. On your own property. And I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. We've done extensive analysis of these laws, a lot of research which hopefully we can uh, share with everybody. Yeah. These guys well, are very dangerous. Ashley, we, I will say this. In a conservative legislature, in a legislature dominated by Republicans, as ours is, a bill right. such as H-3570 should be dead on arrival. And if it's not dead on arrival, we need to take names and 
visit with those folks uh, in a very loving way. Uh, Ashley, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break for some obscene profit uh, commercials, and Have we'll be right back. Can you stick with us? You bet. I'm All here. right, a lot more to cover with Ashley Landis of the South Carolina Policy Council. She's gonna spill the dirt on your legislators. So stick with us. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Talk Saturday morning coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. So you're thinking about selling your home or you've got plans to do some home improvements. Let's get your home inspected by the pros. Pro Home Inspection Services. Here's just some of the things Emerson Trepper will inspect. Moisture, air quality, infrared, HVAC vents, electrical panels and outlets, air leakage of doors and windows, water pressure, gas leaks, even roof inspections. Emerson Treffer of Pro Home Inspection Services has over 40 years of inspection experience, residential and commercial. He's also qualified as an expert witness in various state, federal, and county courts. Home inspections are a great way to check things out before you begin projects. It's not just for selling or buying a home. Get started with ProHomeInspectionsSC.com. That's ProHomeInspectionsSC.com. Pro Home Inspection Services, it's the value of experience. Saturday morning coffee, it's good. the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, folks. It's 821 on your Saturday morning. We are talking to Ashley Landis with the South Carolina Policy Council, talking about H3570 legislation now pending in your General Assembly, which is a little red flag nonsense. We want to start secretive proceedings against you if your neighbor doesn't think you are mentally fit to own a firearm. So, we, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's really nuts ashley that that folks think that this sort of stuff is necessary isn't it well it's you know and the the real concern is it's not just being mentally unfit number one that's it's not defined yeah. things are not defined if you're found mentally dangerous you know to be a danger to yourself or others there is at least a hearing in which this is you know your rights are protected mm-hmm. And there is an evaluation by a competent mental health professional. There's a lot of process that happens before they can commit you. None of that happens here. None of that happens here. And just so people understand that we're not exaggerating, the story, and this this happened, um, a U.S. veteran's guns were confiscated. And it's the Martha's Vineyard Times wrote this story. It was while back, but he and a friend were sitting in a restaurant talking about, you know, just talking about school. He was a crossing guard. He's a Korean war vet. Mm -hmm. And he was, he was telling his friend that he was afraid 
a school resource officer was leaving to, you know, run errands, leaving his post unguarded. And the guy simply expressed concern that someone would come in and, quote, shoot up the school while this officer was out getting coffee. That was the conversation. Well, a waitress overheard, quote, shoot up the school. This is really, this happened. Wow. Went to the police and without any other investigation or questions, they went in and confiscated his firearms. Hmm. Now, wrap your mind around that. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's what we're talking about here. And the implications are so broad. We all wish that people who were later shooting up schools, right? We wish we could catch that on the front end, Reese. We all wish we could. But unfortunately, these are not things that can be predicted. Well, you know, and in that instance, just give you my take on it as a lawyer or just as an individual, I, I would be fine with that person getting a visit by law enforcement. But should the SWAT team roll in and take his weapons without any due process at all, without sitting down and talking to him and assessing the guy when he's obviously, you know, particularly they would know if he had a criminal record, they would know they would have access to all that information before they rolled in and, and, and seized his property without any due process at all. Well, right. And take, take away his guns, take away his right. But the truth is, it was really nothing more than a snippet of conversation. Yeah. Now, that no. wouldn't be probable cause no. in any other situation. No, no. You, 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 could, right? you could call the guy and say, hey, we've had some interesting you know, commentary from your waitress. We want to talk to you. I think that's fine. But you don't, you don't arrest him. You don't do anything like that. No, you're right. There's no probable Listen, cause for anything. Exactly. And so, for any other crime, for a crime, yeah. by the way, you would be protected from the police barreling in and bringing you in for questioning because sure. of a snippet of conversation. That wouldn't be enough. Yeah. But you haven't committed a crime here. To be clear, they're trying to anticipate that you might create, you know, commit a crime. Yeah, time and cops. It, time cops. They're exactly. trying to anticipate something you might do in the future. Right. Yeah. And so that is H3570, a bill which we uh, oppose. There's also another jewel making its way into the General Assembly or in the General Assembly. It's H3418, which would prohibit someone from owning a firearm if he or she is convicted of a a crime that carries a prison sentence of one year or more. Now, Mm -hmm. on its face, that sounds pretty bad. But if you think about it, it's really awful, isn't it? That's a really bad piece of legislation. Absolutely horrible. And again, these things on the surface, this is what they're banking on, that nobody's going to pay attention. Or if they do, people are going to say, oh, yeah, well, sure, you should lose your gun. But, you know, we need to think long and hard about how we address people who have served their time, come out of prison, and try to resume a normal life. Whatever the case, we have to ask, should you lose a constitutional right? And I think we have to we have to take a strong look at how that exists currently, Reese. Yeah. Much less adding to it. But to be sure. clear, you could lose your right to own a gun permanently in South Carolina or, you know, trespassing on state park property. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ashley, you know it's Glenn. Um can I get fined a thousand dollars and possibility a year in jail for littering? Yeah, that that's, I think you might be able to. Yeah, and then yeah. and then that means yeah. that I can't say, have a gun. Say goodbye to Smith and Wesson. Yeah, under this 
law, that's exactly what it looks like to us. And, slander, you know, slander, libel. Slander. I mean, and yeah, frankly, I mean, frankly, who hasn't slandered somebody at least once or twice around here? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know slander was a crime in South Carolina. I don't know if you all knew that. Oh, yeah. But We're I well acquainted that. with the criminal statutes here at WTKN. <laughs> I guess you are. Lord knows I should be, too, yeah, well, right? It, I am a practicing attorney when I don't stay at a Holiday Inn Express. So <laughs> That's I, right. I, I do claim that as my day job. Well, it's, right. a, it's just a bad idea, Ashley. I think that's fair to say that H3418 is a bad idea. Am I correct? In, in, it gets worse. Yeah. It really does. And look, we're going to be doing another look at this. We are analyzing the federal laws right now just to really get familiar and make sure everybody understands what the rules are at the federal level, which are disturbing enough. Yeah. Well, you but know, when the, yeah. Go ahead. No, well, I was just say when these guys start adding crime on top of what the feds already do, and they don't take your guns away at the federal level, but the state would, this is an area, first of all, we're very concerned about the push for Second Amendment restrictions in that legislature yeah. by people who tell you that they're good, strong, solid conservatives. Yeah, and they should, and they should know better, frankly. Well, and I'm afraid a lot of them don't, but... Worse yet, I think the ones who are putting this legislation together know exactly what they're doing. Some of them are themselves lawyers and should know better. Yeah. Well, so you know, we have and, to ask why yeah. people are feeling safe, mm -hmm. Reese and Glenn. Why do these legislators feel like it's an okay, good thing to do to introduce these draconian Second Amendment restrictions in the state of South Carolina? Why do they think they can do that? Well, you and that's and I, a question for us. Yeah, you and I have talked about that, and I think at times we say we've got a Republican legislature and we feel like we're, okay, we've done our part as voters. We have elected these Republican legislators, and they go up there and they give us, you know, there's our give. And like this session, they've done the heartbeat bill. So they feel like, okay, we've done our part to prove that we're good, conservative mm -hmm. Republican legislators. Now we can go back to business as usual, go and we'll go back into the cigar smoke-filled room and we'll do our ordinary, you know, nasty business. But we did the heartbeat bill, so we're good. You know, we're good for now. We're good for the session. No, that's not the way it works. If you're, uh, you know, if you're a Republican conservative legislator on Tuesday, I expect you to be one on Wednesday and Thursday also. So, You know, I, I, gotta I agree with you. I do. I think that makes sense. I think there's a reason that they came in strong and got legislation passed that they knew would please a lot of strong conservatives in the state. And they kind of, first thing up, it was the first order of business. Now, I haven't seen that happen before. Yeah. And I think that was a nod to, well, there are people out there, all these conservative people, let's give them something. Yeah. But here's what I'll tell you. I would say most Democrats in this state are no better represented than the Republicans. There are, the people in this state if, are not getting what they think they are. Yeah. These guys are focusing more and more on power, on consolidating power, on this idea that they're supposed to design things and create things and really a ruling elite mentality. I mean, I know that term gets tossed around a lot, yeah. but that is what you see in the legislature. And they will work together at all of our and, you know, another thing that concerns me to this Second Amendment issue, one last thought I'll share. And, you know, we live in an environment now that's extremely dangerous where just being a conservative is being equated 
with bigotry and white supremacy and you're a domestic terrorist. There's a lot of rhetoric on the left that is extremely dangerous. And so if they open the door with these red flag provisions and they say, oh, we can disqualify you from gun ownership for X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D, L, M, N, O, P. Well, once we open that door, I'm afraid it's going to be easier to come back and add, you know, additional items to the list. And who knows what will be on the list next year and the year after that, you know? Well, look, they don't have to. With with these um, red flag laws, this law is comprehensive enough that they can pretty much take your gun anytime they want to. And, while, yes, you're right. There's a lot of distrust out there among people. And let's be clear. I think this is a real door opening, too, to go into certain communities and really without any warning to take their guns, right? Because and you can see it. It's like, well, we want to clean up the streets, and uh, let's go in over here into this neighborhood and just get rid of some of these guys' guns. So it cuts both ways. There is no one protected under these laws, and that's the point. There's nobody safe from the discrimination and the capricious arm of the law here. And I'm not, I'm certainly a law and order kind of gal, Reese. I follow the rules, even if I don't like them. But this is the kind of thing that we, if we're not paying attention, and that's why we do this work. Yep. If we're not paying attention, I promise you, look around. Nobody else is going to catch this. And if everybody doesn't make their own voices heard, Oh. Then they're going to pass this stuff. People say, oh, this will never pass. No, it's it's out there. <laughs> and You bet. Ashley, there were lots of other bills that we wanted to get to. I wanted to talk about S-72, which makes it unlawful to privately sell or transfer a gun mm-hmm. with, without involving a dealer who can do a background check, which is really, I have a real problem with that. Lots of these legislative uh, proposals I have a problem with, but we're going to have to run, but uh, we're going to need to get you back. We're going to bring you back on if that's okay. You let me know when you can come back because there are many more bills pending in this General Assembly that we need to talk about and we need to dr- drill into a little bit. So uh, will you come back and join us on other programs? You bet. I'd love to do that as soon as possible, as often as possible during this session. They're introducing bad bills daily. So All right. anytime you're ready, we are. And if folks want to find the Policy Council, Ashley, how can they find you guys? Jump on to S policycouncil.org and check out the nerve.org for our investigative journalism into corruption. Ashley, thanks for all y'all do. I love the nerve. I love the policy council. And we'll be inviting you back on the program. Uh, Folks, it's Ashley Landis with the South Carolina Policy Council. Ashley, thanks for joining us this morning. And folks, we'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Have you ever worried about your business computer backups? All your customers' data? Hi, I'm Ryan Foltz, owner of PCRX Computer Sales and Service, locally owned and located in Conway. Recently, a business owner accepted an email which locked them out of their computer. No QuickBooks, lost sales, they couldn't even contact their customers. How much money did that cost them? What makes it worse is that the same virus and lockout had happened weeks earlier. They thought they had everything fixed. At PCRX Computers, we conduct a detailed audit of your network, computers, and software. Then we create a plan to prevent security breaches. We also create a cloud-based backup plan. 
for a limited time only at no charge. Schedule your appointment today. PCRXcomputers.com. That's PCRXcomputers.com. I'm Ryan Foltz of PCRX, where we have the right prescription for your computers and your network. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. When darkness seems to end Where are you now When the world is crumbling Oh, I, I, I hear you say Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 8.37 on your Saturday morning. Thanks for sticking with us. I want to thank Ashley Landis with the South Carolina Policy Council. Great interview. We're going to get Ashley back on the program. There is a lot going on in the legislature, folks, a lot that you guys need to be aware of, and a lot that we need to stand up and be heard about, these red flag laws, these other uh, Second Amendment laws, other laws that we didn't even get a chance to get to. Even though we had Ashley on for two segments, just a lot to talk about. Um, and coming right up, uh, we've got Jared Dillion going to be talking to us. Uh, Jared also on this uh, station f- with the Jared Dillion Show. Jared's going to be talking to us about the craziness with GameStop and AMC. But real quick, we've got Steve, the mayor of Bucksport, been holding on the line very patiently for a long time this morning. Steve, good morning. How are you? Morning. I want to make one comment on guns and another one on impeachment. Yes, sir. What's on your mind? And before I do, I've been uh, lived here all my life, and I like y'all's name about the coffee. We used, in the '60s we had a program in Conway, WLAT AM, Coffee in Conway. Coffee in Conway. Yes, sir. You know, you won't believe this, Steve, but I grew up in Conway, and I remember listening to WLAT. Uh, when I was literally knee-high to a grasshopper. I don't remember that specific program, but I remember listening to LAT all the time. I think it was 104.1, maybe. I'm trying to remember. But, yeah. Jack Hawley was one of the announcers. Yep, yep. So, yeah. what's on your mind? Well, my, my first comment is quick about guns. Then I want to say something about people. Sure. They, they're going to use this White House January the 6th and designate uh, we Trumpers as homeland terrorists to take guns. That's what they, that's going to be their foundation. Because we're dangerous. Yeah, okay? I, I can't disagree. They're going to do their best. They're going to do their best. Number two, about impeachment. Yep. I'm a Christian man. Well, there's a story in the Bible. A woman was accused of uh, adultery. And all of her accusers was around. And Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground. It don't say what he wrote with his finger. I believe he wrote some of the things these accusers were guilty of, and every one of them left. And Jesus said, where's that accuser? She said, I have none. Okay, here's my point. Chuck Schumer, when Kavanaugh was confirmed, stood on the steps of the Senate and said, we're going to hit them, and they ain't going to know what's coming. All right, that could incite people to violence. And we know the Maxine Waters statements about attacking Trump or wherever you find them. Pelosi said she wanted to drag him out of the White House by his little hand. Uh, 
And uh, uh, Biden said he wanted to take Trump out behind the gym and beat him up. Sure. So when, well, we, it, go, when well, we go to impeachment, why can't we include everybody's name that said violent speech that could incite violence and impeach all of those instead of just one? Why couldn't we do it in a bun- bundle it? And, and have impeachment hearings about every person, Democrat or Republican, that's made speeches asking for people to get out and protest and get in people's places. Why can't we include all of the names and do this at one time and say we'll do money? A, we'll do a class action. It's like a class action. Yeah, we'll yeah. do a class action, yeah. Stephen. It's a great point. It's a great point. And, Steve, I appreciate the call. You, you raise an excellent point, which is, you know, it's interesting if you look back over the last two years, three years, four years, there have been... Uh, they've all made calls at Maxine Waters, Bernie Sanders, uh, Adam Schiff at numerous occasions. They Th- talked about assassination. Yes, they have talked about violence. Yeah. And, and so this idea of impeaching the president for inciting a riot, frankly, it's silly. It's just raw politics. That's all it is. And as we talked about this morning, Steve, at the, at the, at the top of the show, at the beginning of the show, the votes aren't there uh, legally, constitutionally. The procedure is not there, and even if the procedure was there constitutionally, the votes aren't there. So I think what the Democrats are going to try to do is censure this president, but it's not going, uh, it's not going to happen, in, in my view. And remember, while America was burning over the summertime, Harris said the protest will not stop and should continue. Yeah, exactly. And there was violence in the streets at don't, that time. Don't let them rest. Yeah. That was that was their <laughs> yeah. instructions to the to the masses. Yeah. So. Right now, we want to switch gears, folks. We've got, uh, we're joined here on the program by our own esteemed financial expert, Jared Dillian, who has his own program here on uh, WTKN. It's the Jared Dillian Show, where they talk about markets, money, and all the things. And this week, I've been really struck by something, a news item that we've all been struck by, and that is the incredible uh, fluctuations in the stock uh, price of two, well, several, but the two that we've all heard about. Our GameStop and AMC, the the movie American AMC Entertainment Holdings Inc., which is the movie theater chain, and of course I got a note from my broker uh, la- latter part of the week. I think it was Thursday, and he said, "Have you checked out AMC?" And so I, of course, I'd not heard anything, and I pulled it up, and I immediately texted him back, and I'm like, "Where were you on January 5? This is not." timely advice what am i paying you for why didn't you why did this text not come in on january 5 but needless to say it came in on thursday so but we've seen a lot of uh interesting activity in the markets wanted to get jared in on the conversation to hear his take because he always gives me very insightful commentary jared good morning how are you doing this morning hey good morning it's uh pretty good good to have you on the show so i get the sense that this is an important thing that happened in the market this week, uh, and that it's going to have some lasting implications for us. Am I? What's uh, you know, you 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 basically had a lot of uh, Reddit uh, consumer level players in the market who were triggered. We'll use that term loosely by social media that jumped in on these stocks and they outfoxed uh, a handful of hedge funds. Is that a fair assessment? Guys on Reddit uh, have uh, lots of money and lots of free time. They got a bunch of stimulus checks this year. They're sitting at home. Uh, they have some savings. They have some cash. Yeah. And it's the pandemic, so they're sitting at home, and they're kind of angry and disaffected. 
And what the, the idea they got was that they could engineer a short squeeze in a stock called GameStop. Now, GameStop is a brick-and-mortar retailer of video games. But sure. this is a company that is increasingly irrelevant mm-hmm. because nobody buys video games at the store. Yeah. They download them at home. Yeah. So, I, I was going to say, I have an 11-year-old son, so I know GameStop well, but I would echo your comments. It's becoming increasingly less relevant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. And it's, um, you know, so it's, it was completely rational to bet against the company and short the stock. And keep in mind that, you know, people short stocks for a variety of reasons. I mean, I short stocks. And it's, it's not because you're necessarily trying to drive the company out of business. I mean, one of the narratives that's coming out of this is that we have these evil short sellers that are trying to drive companies out of business. That's not really the case. I mean, you know, these hedge funds are what's called market-neutral hedge funds, which means they have a basket of long stocks and they have a basket of short stocks, mm-hmm. and they don't have any directional exposure in the market. If the market goes up, the market goes down, they don't care. All they care about is that the longs outperform the shorts, and GameStop had done nothing for a long time, so this was a pretty good bet. But, you know, you had some hedge funds, like the biggest one was Melvin Capital, about a $10 billion hedge fund. They had a pretty large concentrated position in short GameStop, and, uh, you know, the stock was trading around 15 bucks, and they ran it up to 500 bucks, and they blew up the hedge fund. And there were many others. There was about two dozen hedge funds that sustained losses of about, 20% to 60%. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, who, why do we care about Richie Rich and his hedge funds? Well, you know, the investors in these hedge funds are frequently teachers, firemen, yeah. pension plans, sure. you know, yeah. um, that are investing in alternative assets. So a lot of people have painted this out to be this class warfare narrative, you know, like the average Joe's versus Globo Jim. Yeah. But it's a lot more nuanced than that. Yeah, I, I see that. I got you. That's a good point. Let me ask you this question. How did it become sort of common knowledge that the hedge funds were betting against GameStop and, you know, sparking the, I'll, I'll call it the Battle of Sherwood Forest, but how did they How did they become energized? How did they come to realize, because you would think that secrecy would be to the extent that a hedge fund can take these large positions without getting the word out, but you would think secrecy would be part of the package, right? Well, You know, hedge funds and any investment firms are required to file these forms called 13F. And a 13F is where you list your holdings quarterly. Now, you're required to list your long positions, but you're not required to list your short positions. But if you look up a stock on Yahoo Finance or something like that, you can see see what the short interest is. You can see what percentage of the float has been sold short. And in this case... 140% of the float had been sold short. So, you know, people were shorting shares that they didn't have. Um, So that's that they they basically found the stock with the highest short interest and went after that. And of course, then they went after other stocks like AMC and other ones. And it was basically a panic move out of all the heavily shorted stocks. I've got a few more questions, Jared. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about this because I think it's a very interesting um, development. Uh, Can you stick around through the break? Yeah. Okay. Folks, we're talking to Jared Dillion. We're talking about GameStop, AMC, and the Battle of Sherwood Forest. We'll get to that more to come after these words from our sponsors. We'll be right back with more Saturday Morning Coffee. I'm Reese Boyd. Don't leave town. 
Saturday morning coffee. Call the show at 843-903-2945. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour returns after these on Talk 94.5. Thanks for waking up with Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5. One, two, three... Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. It is 8.52 on your Saturday morning, Saturday, January 30th. We're talking to Jared Dillion of the Jared Dillion Show right here on this station and others. Uh, Jared, we're talking about the uh, Battle of Sherwood Forest, the rise and fall of AMC this week in GameStop. And it's, there's been a lot of fluctua- fluctuation, but the stock is actually seems to be kind of back up again. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, GameStop is kind of a worthless company, and yeah. it's <laughs> going to go to zero. <laughs> so you're not you're I not mean, you're not issuing a long term buy this morning. No, I mean, if you if if you basically had uh, an unlimited time horizon and you could withstand the volatility, it would actually be pretty good to short GameStop here. But you know, it's exceptionally volatile, and it's yeah. very hard to do. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend getting in now. You're way over my head if you get in now. Let's just leave it at that. Um, quick question for you. This business about Robinhood, uh, the trading platform, uh, Robinhood, uh, shutting down, it seems as though once the battle was waged and the, tr- and the hedge funds were being, you know, buried in this avalanche of, you know, consumer Reddit investors, spending their stimulus checks. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a good point. But spending their stimulus checks. At some point, Robinhood and, and, and presumably other platforms stepped in and suspended trading and, and basically prevented people from, from buying to support the stock. What, 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 and I even saw some social media sites that were claiming that buying the stock was hate speech. I mean, what, what is all that all about? Nah, that's, you don't need to pay attention to that stuff. I mean, basically... You know, the chief culprit here is Robinhood, and Robinhood is a brokerage, yeah. uh, but that has encouraged the gamification of Wall Street. If you've ever looked at the interface on the platform and how it works, it yeah. really turns trading into a video game. And when you sign up for Robinhood, it basically automatically signs you up for margin trading and it signs you up for options, whether you know anything about these two things. I mean, the one thing I'll say here is that every market crisis since 1929 has led to more regulation. So we got the SEC in 1929, we got circuit breakers in 1987, we got Sarbanes-Oxley in 2000, we got Dodd-Frank in 2008. Some regulation is going to be coming, and it's probably not going to be good. We could have a tax on transactions, we could have a tax on shorts, we could be limiting buybacks. We could be limiting shorts. I'm a little afraid as to the policy implications of this. Yeah. Well, uh, the last thing we need, in my opinion, is more is more transactional taxing uh, on the on the you know the non the the private investor. That seems, and it's more than a little bit ironic if you think about it that a firm called Robinhood is uh, shutting down the little man uh, in a in a battle with the uh, hedge funds in an effort. Well, to- let me 
Let, let me just comment on that. Yeah. Um, you know, the reason they shut down, there's no conspiracy here, okay? That's not yeah. like, you know, Citadel called up Robin Hood and told them to turn these guys off. Like, mm-hmm. it's, 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 they didn't get a call from the White House. I mean, yeah. basically, it became very expensive to clear these trades. And since a lot of the customers were buying on margin, there is a risk that if they sustained losses, which they did, they would have to liquidate their positions at, at a loss, and Robin Hood would have to eat the loss. And, you know, Robin Hood drew down $300 million on a credit line, and they, they obtained another billion dollars in funding from their investors because they were running through it on cash. Yeah, I read, they ha- is- I read they had to go to their investors and raise another billion. That was... Yeah, I mean, yeah. There, there is a possibility. It's somewhat remote, but there is a possibility that Robin Hood fails. And by the way, if anybody is listening and you have a Robin Hood account... I would be very uncomfortable about leaving money there. I would be getting that money out as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but Jared, if somebody is going to engage in options trading in these high-risk trades, they have you have to have a cash account with Robinhood, right? That that gives Robinhood a, a back a, a backstop, right? Yeah, you do. But like, for example, if you buy GameStop on margin yeah. and you have fifty percent margin, so you put down half the price of GameStop. And then the price of the stock goes down more than 50%. You either have to post margin or they liquidate your position at a loss. And that's where the losses can come in. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you one last question, Jared. Are any hedge funds mortally wounded as a result of this exchange? Yeah, there's going to be about uh, two dozen hedge funds that are going to have to liquidate because of this. And, um, you know, I don't think the hedge funds expect any sympathy, but, you know, this is people losing their jobs. I mean, we're talking about probably, you know, 500 people that will lose their jobs. And some of these hedge funds are household names. They're big hedge funds. Wow. So, um, you know, it, 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 there is a risk management issue here. Um, you know, why would you be short a small cap illiquid stock in such size that it takes you 20 days to cover like these, these, this wasn't really smart decision making on their part. But yeah. then again, who could have predicted that this would have happened? Yeah. Well, Jared, listen, it's been fascinating talking to you. It's a fascinating story. Thanks for joining us here on Saturday Morning Coffee and come back anytime, okay? Okay. Great. Thank you. Folks, it's Jared Dillion, and it's the Jared Dillion Money Show that you can catch also on the weekend here on WTKN. And, uh, folks, that brings us to a conclusion. I had more parting wisdom for you, but we're not going to get it uh, in the program today, so we'll save it for next week. Let me leave you with this bit of wisdom from the Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Folks, that's Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Y'all have a blessed day. Be, uh, Be safe. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week for more Saturday Morning Coffee. Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.